We're going to talk about Mary today, and I'm going to probably surprise you with some things about Mary. Uh, and for my Catholic friends, uh, I love you. You know, but you might be stretched a bit when we look at what the Bible says about Mary's life. So here we go. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. She's an imperfect hero. She's a great hero of the New Testament. And this is what it says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. By the way, time out for just a second. She was probably a young teenager here at this point. Probably, more than likely, about 13, maybe 14 years old. So this is a young girl. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. That is always good when Gabriel says that to you, right? You would love to have that happen in your life. And then in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 38, it says, Mary responded, responds to the angel and says, I am the Lord's servant. Notice her humility. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. So the secret that Mary had, Mary had some secret sauce. She had some secret power. And the secret power that Mary had was in her heart. And so you can see that all through her life. Mary had a heart that was in complete submission to God. She never questioned God. She just obeyed God. And so, and sometimes that is like a crazy, I mean, what would you do if an angel came to you and said, oh, by the way, you're going to have a child, and I know you've never been with a man, but the reality is, is that you're going to be impregnated with, with God's son. I mean, that would be pretty freaky, right? Wouldn't you agree? That'd be, I, you know, I think that'd be very freaky. So oftentimes, the ways of God are different than our ways. And that is always seen in the Bible, in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament as well. And uh, there was an old movie that came out called The Poseidon Adventure, and it was based on a true story of a ship that got, got capsized in a storm. And the only survivors that survived were the few who did what didn't make sense. So when the ship turned over, you had to go the opposite way that you would think you would go to get to, to, get to a place where, where you would have to go to the bottom of the ship, not the top of the ship. And so many people perished because they went the wrong way, and a few people survived because they went the right way. God's ways are always upside down. God's ways are always upside down to our ways. And then there's a guy by the name of Adniram Judson who graduated from college and in the Boston area and uh, was offered a, an assistant pastor role at a very prestigious church in Boston to which he turned down. His family was elated that he got the offer, but he turned it down. And, and Adniram Judson went to Burma and he gave his whole life to Burma. He was tortured. He was beaten. He was anything but comfortable in his life. And as a result of his ministry there, to their knowledge, about 50,000 people came to Jesus. And uh, he didn't see any converts for the first six, seven years of his ministry. But he was a guy that knew that God's ways are upside down. Now think about Mary's calling for just a minute. Think about Mary's calling to be the mother of the Messiah. It took great courage and faith to step into that role. That was, that's a pretty amazing thing. Uh, what I'd like to do uh, for just a few minutes this morning of your time is I'd like, to, I'd like to give you three snapshots of Mary so you see how amazing she is. And then at the end, I'm gonna talk to you about her issue, 
Okay, so here we go. So first of all, let's talk about Mary, the teenage mother. So she has this baby when she's just a teenager. Her obedience brought both blessing and trial. Being the mother of Jesus was Mary's greatest honor and ultimate source of suffering. She witnessed Jesus endure intense ridicule, opposition, and then crucifixion. She was the last person with Jesus until his death on the cross. Mary carried a weighty burden and a weighty responsibility, and she, took, she bore it well. As any mother would, Mary wanted only what was best for her son, right? Only what was best for her son, but also endured great pain and suffering watching her son suffer. This is so powerful. Motherhood is at best difficult. Would you, moms, would you agree with that? Motherhood is at best difficult. A mother of three unruly children was asked whether or not she'd have children if she could do it all over again. And she said, yes, of course I would. But they just wouldn't be the same ones. <laughs> so shortly after the angel had appeared to Mary, she traveled to Elizabeth, it was, her, it was a relative, to tell her about the good news. So we picked that, her, Mary's response in the Bible, and this is what it says, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. That was her response. But not everyone was exactly thrilled with this thing that happened in Mary's life. For example, her fiancé didn't take to this uh, very well. In Matthew 119, Joseph, that was who she was engaged to. And by the way, in those days, if you were engaged, it took a writing of a divorcement to actually separate. So, I mean, they took marriage and engagement pretty, you know, it wasn't just a trial thing here. So Joseph, verse 19, Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man. He did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break off the engagement quietly. And then he had an encounter with an angel and changed his mind. So that's kind of the glimpse of Mary, the the, the teenage mother. And now let's look at Mary, the mother of a teenager. This is where it gets a little dicey. And uh, this is where it gets a little complicated. So in Luke chapter 2, verse 41, Jesus is about 12 years old in this section of Scripture. He's about 12 years old. And they went, the parents took Jesus, and they went to Jerusalem for the Passover celebration. And they were there two or three days, and they were celebrating, and it was awesome. It was great. It was amazing. And uh, then on the way home, Mary's mom recognized that Jesus wasn't with them. How do you lose the Messiah? <laughs> I'm just saying, how do you lose the Son of God? I mean, that would be a big, a big thing. So somehow, somewhere, he, got, he slipped through the cracks. And, and uh, so they went back to Jerusalem, and they went into the temple, and they found Jesus teaching all these really smart people, the things of God. And, uh, and Mary says to Jesus, good night. Do you realize what you've done to us? She, I don't think she used good night, but that was my interpretation. Do you realize what, she, what you've done to us? I mean, we're worried sick. Why did you do this? And his response was very difficult probably for Mary to hear, and this is what it was. Don't you know that I must be about my father's business? So here's what's interesting is, I wonder when, this is just a curious thought for me. I mean, I I lay awake at night thinking about these things. I wonder when Jesus realized that he was actually the Messiah. I mean, he was God before he came. He incarnated into Mary's womb. 
And uh, he was born natural way and was raised in, you know, a very humble way. And at some point, he became self-aware of his mission. And at 12, he fully identified with this particular mission. And so it must have been frustrating for Mary to raise a son who knew more than you. I mean, literally. I mean, all teenagers think they know more than you, right? All your kids think they're smarter than you. I'm just going to tell you, that's what they say behind your back. They think, you're a lot, they think that you're a lot dumber than you are, and, uh, and they're a lot smarter than they are. But Jesus actually was. He was actually smarter than everybody around. And uh, so that must have been extremely frustrating. Now, let's talk about Mary, the disciple of Jesus. And this is where it gets beautiful. After Jesus had ascended into heaven, after his crucifixion and resurrection and appearance to the disciples, he instructed his disciples to go back and wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit, of which they did. So he picked that story up. Are you with me so far? Are we having fun today? Okay, in Acts chapter 1, verse 12, he picked that story up. Then the apostles returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. That's where Jesus ascended. They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus. So at some point, some point, Jesus or Mary transcended from his mother to his disciple, which was a very important transition for her to make. Very powerful thing. And of course, several other women and the brothers of Jesus were there as well, which is all also significant. The brothers of Jesus were not believers until after the resurrection. So now we, find, now we find the brothers of Jesus now have, have believed. So the same attitude that brought God's son into her womb also brought him into her heart. That's, that's, a, that's a takeaway today. The same attitude that brought her into her womb brought her into her heart. So parents, let me just say this to you. How many parents do we have in the room today? Okay, I'm speaking to the right crowd. The most important gift that you can give your children is letting them see you as a disciple. That's the most important gift you can give. And, you know, we live in kind of a crazy time, and uh, it's, it's interesting. It's not how many, you know, oftentimes, you know, we have our kids in every sport, every dance lesson we can possibly imagine. And, you know, we're, so we're in cars taking them places two or three or four nights a week, and, and it's kind of crazy. And I'm just going to say this to you. Listen to me very carefully. Don't be mad at me. I'm just a messenger of truth here today. The, the reality is the most important thing that you can do for your kids is model being a disciple of Jesus. That's it. Let them see you follow him and put him first in your life. And uh, I, I love this. There's a sign. I mean, because life is crazy. There's a sign in Pleasanton, California at a sports complex. I mean, we are sports crazy. And it says, the sign reads this. This is so good. I'm a kid. I'm just a kid. It's just a game. My coach is a volunteer. The officials are human. No college scholarships will be handed out today. Because sometimes in the process of really trying to figure out, you know, how to parent, we lose sight of the most important things in life. And when you are, listen to me carefully, when you are out there yelling words at the umpire or the referee or the other coach or, or all, any of those things, you're not modeling what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Would you agree with that? You know, when you come, I mean, it's interesting. I mean, I, 
when my kids were growing up, I just saw this all the time where parents would be, they would come to fisticuffs sometimes uh, with different parents because of, a, you know, because whatever issues there were. And I'm just simply saying the most important gift that you can give to your children is to let them see and model for them that you are a disciple of Jesus. What does that look like? What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? A disciple is a learning follower of the Lord Jesus. That's what it means. It means somebody who doesn't have all the answers. You know, you don't have to, you don't have, to have all the answers for your kids when, you're, when they're reading the Bible. You don't have to, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times the best answer is, I don't know. Ask your dad. <laughs> I don't know. Is probably one of the best answers you can give. So Mary was a hero, right? Which, how many agree that Mary was a hero? Teenager, obedient to Christ, was devout. The reason she was chosen is because of her devotion to, to, the, to the God of Israel. And so now she's chosen and she is a, you know, she's a modern day hero. She's a hero in anybody's book, right? Would you agree with that? A hero in anybody's book. So with that in mind, I want to show you for just a minute that she was an imperfect hero. And that she has, has flaws and struggles just like you and me. I mean, losing Jesus was one thing, but let me show you something else. So, um, imperfect hero. I want to show you something that is overlooked and ignored in Mary's song. Mary actually wrote a song. It's recorded for us um, in the Gospels. And this is what Mary's song, this is what Mary wrote and, and sang. My soul magnifies the Lord. That's a great statement, right? And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Now, let's think about that. Mary admits that the baby that she would give birth to was going to be her Savior. Now, if you do the math there, her firstborn child would die for her sins. So Mary was a sinner. She wasn't without sin. She acknowledged that. She said right up front, she's the one that acknowledged that she was a sinner and needing the saving grace. So here's the thing. <laughs> this is good. If Mary needed a savior, what about you? Come on now. If Mary, this perfect, almost perfect hero, needed a savior, then that leaves us, leaves us in the same boat. You and I need a savior just as much. And so I just encourage you, if you've never if you've never acknowledged your need for Jesus to save you, this would be a great time. Today would be a great time. And uh, you can do it right now where you're sitting. You can say, Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. Come into my life. I think you died. I believe you died for me. And, um, and so God, I pray that you would save me. So that happened for you. Tell somebody about that today. If you said that with me, if you prayed that prayer with me today, tell somebody about that. But for the remaining time we have together, I wanna talk about some takeaways for you and I, as we look at Mary's life, we see that she needed a savior. We see some amazing things. We saw her, you know, in many different avenues. But I want you to see some things that I think that are really important for us to understand. So here's what I see from Mary's life. First of all, God values submissive obedience. Mary didn't question the angel. She just said, okay, I'm in. God values submissive obedience. God values when you look at the word of God and you see something in the word of God and the word of God confronts your life and the word of God, you know, kind of speaks right to you and you him-haw around. I'm just simply saying, listen to me carefully, act quickly. 
Repent quickly. Turn from whatever that is. Confess whatever it is. When you see that God wants you to do something, God values submissive obedience. When you see that God wants to use you, I'm just going to say God values submissive obedience. So what in your life right now, what in your life right now needs action? Right, right now, what is it in your life that you need to go, okay, God, I need to deal with this. This is something that I, you've been talking to me about for years. I don't know what it might be, but you do, don't you? Come on now. You know that there's things that you have not dealt with, that you have ignored, that you have put away, that you have not wanted to admit to yourself. And the truth is, is that if Mary can admit that she needs a savior, we can too. And it's okay. We're safe. You and I are safe with God. It's okay. So whatever you need attention with, just, just deal with it. God values submissive obedience. So in my day, when I was, when the year that I graduated from high school, 1971, um, Roger Staubach, who led the, played for the Dallas Cowboys, led them to a Super Bowl, won the Super Bowl. He hated, Roger Staubach said, I mean, he was a great quarterback, no question. I'm not a Cowboy fan. For those of you that are, I'm praying for you that God would, you know, <laughs> submissive obedience. Let's go back to the, no, I'm just kidding. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This story is amazing because this is what, this is what he says. He hated Roger Staubach hated that he was not allowed to call his own plays. In the modern-day world, almost every quarterback in the league, you know, they're given three or four plays, and they get up to the line of scrimmage, and they say, Omaha. Well, I don't know what that means. You know, they say all these words, and I'm going, oh, <laughs> you know, what's that? I don't know. Because you say it every time. You, get, you, you can't mean anything you're, because the fact is <laughs> you, you, call it every, you call it every play. And so, you know, I'm just saying. She'd come up with a new word. Are you okay with that? I'm just saying. I'm not being judgmental here. I'm just saying probably could come up with a new word. So Roger Staubach, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, had to make a fundamental decision of whether he was going to have submissive obedience or not in his life when it came to Tom Landry. Tom Landry was the coach in those days, and Tom Landry was a football genius, and he called every play. He sent every play in. This was in 1971 you know, before all the technology and, you know, all, the, you know, all that stuff. And so Stavak later said, I faced up to the issue of obedience. I learned to obey. And when I learned to obey, there was harmony, there was fulfillment, and there was victory. That is so good, isn't it? So there's something in your life that you need to learn to just humble yourself in and submit to God. The second takeaway is that the most important thing in your life is being a disciple of Jesus. I mentioned it, but I want to come back to it because it is the most important thing in your life. It's more important than your bank account. It's more important than your career. It's more important than your family. It's more important than any other thing that you have going on in your life. Being a disciple of Jesus is a full-time job. You don't do this part-time. You don't, you know come in and out of the game. I'm just saying being a disciple of Jesus is a, is a place where you simply say 24-7, I follow, I follow Jesus with my whole heart. And if your friends were to describe you, if they were to look at you and they were to look at your lifestyle, would they say, would they say, here's a person who follows Jesus 24-7 with her whole heart. That's the goal. Now, all of us fall short of that. 
But that's what we, be should, we should be shooting for. We should be shooting for the fact that we're following Jesus 24-7. More important than anything else in your life. Whatever is more important than that is idolatry. And it is inappropriate before God. When Jesus called his disciples, he said, hey, come and follow me. They left houses and careers and everything beside, and they came and followed Jesus. Now, I'm not suggesting that that's what you should do unless God calls you to that. If God says that to you, then you surely should do that. What I am saying to you is that being a disciple is the most important thing in your life, getting up every day and making a fundamental decision in your heart and your mind and your soul that whatever God shows me to do, whatever Jesus wants me to do, I want to lift up his name. I want to bring his kingdom. I want to do his will inside of my life. That is so important for you and I. So the last thing that I want to talk to you about is heroes are many times obscure people. Now think about that. Heroes many times are obscure people, just like Mary. She didn't, have a, she didn't have a press release. And so you can be a hero right where you are. That's the point. You can be a hero. You don't have to, you don't have to be famous. You don't, have to, you don't have to have a long resume. You don't have to have any of those things. You can be a hero in an obscure way, and you can do it for the glory of God. So being a hero in God's kingdom often is obscurity. So the fact is, the fact is, is that many of you sit in your pew. Oh, we don't have pews, but if we had them, you'd sit there. Many of you sit in your seat every weekend, and you don't, you don't, you don't take action. You walk out of here, and you, there's no action involved. There's, just, there's no resolve. Many of you walk in as... No different than you, you, we walk out no different than you walk in. And that is, that, you know, we should try to make one step to Jesus. Our purpose here at Grace Church is for everyone to take one step closer to Jesus every time we show up together as the church. That's what we do. Take one step closer to Jesus. And so when you think about where you're at, you can be a hero on your job, in your neighborhood. Wherever you're at, you can be a hero just by simply following Jesus' ways. Mary was a hero before she gave birth to Jesus because she lived a quiet and obedient life. And that is so powerful and so good. And my prayer is that you'll grab that, you'll get a hold of that, because I just love Mary. And for my Catholic friends, right? for my Catholic friends, and I have lots, I like you, but Mary was a sinner. She was. And she needed Jesus to die for her. When he was dying on that cross, he was dying for her. That's kind of weird, isn't it? But that's the truth. He was dying for her sins and mine and yours. So may that resonate with you today. So what are you gonna, So my last question f- for you today, we're almost done. Another hour will be done. <laughs> my last question for you today is what is your takeaway today? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to write it down so you don't forget it. In your phone, somewhere, just say, okay, here's my takeaway. This is what I'm going to start doing. This is what I'm going to start uh, applying to my life because what I want for your life is for you to take one step closer to Jesus every time you come through these doors. And if you do that, I promise you one day you'll hear these words from Jesus, well done, 
Well done, my good and faithful servant. So God, thank you, thank you, thank you, God, for everyone here today. And I pray, God, that you will allow my words to sink home and that, God, that you would be glorified in everything that I said and that you'll draw us to you. Thank you for Mary, God. She's an encouragement to me. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful name. Amen.